Hi, I'm Abby, and I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to these Sepsis Research Feet Words of Sepsis podcasts. Over the course of eight episodes, we'll be talking to sepsis survivors and their families about their experiences of sepsis. Some of the stories you hear may be quite painful. Many are uplifting. They're stories of shock, fear, sometimes loss, often courage, but also of hope. Sepsis is a condition that still takes the lives of some 50,000 people in the UK every year. That's about five lives lost every hour. Our hope is that through these podcasts, many more people will become aware of sepsis and that some of the loss and suffering related to sepsis can be prevented as you increase your knowledge and the knowledge of others. So do please listen, share these words of sepsis and help to raise awareness and save lives. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Kim, who was on holiday in Spain when she began to feel unwell. As is so often the case, at first neither she nor her husband thought too much about it. Her life was to change beyond all recognition as a result. We'd been there a week or two and I felt like maybe I might have a urine infection, but what kind of really prompted it was I'd started to get pain on my left side around by my waist in my back. And I said, oh, gosh, I think I've got a urine infection and it's gone to my kidneys. So I said, I think, I think really, because the pain's getting quite bad, we perhaps need to go to the hospital. I think even then I must have been feeling very unwell, but not realised quite how unwell I was. For me to want to go to the hospital rather than just the local doctors, I think I must have thought it was something fairly serious and I actually thought that the hospital would possibly speak a bit more language the English language would possibly ask more questions and hopefully get me sorted a bit quicker I said in Spanish dolor aquí which means pain here and pointed to my back where it was hurting I don't remember anything else at all after that I don't remember going home or anything my husband said that they took me through and I had some x-rays and they sent me away saying nothing's broken I came home I was sat with a hot water bottle on my feet because my hands and feet were extremely cold I had the central heating on the log burner on uh, I had jumpers on I had my dressing gown on I had a blanket wrapped around me I was shivering that I was cold and yet I'd got a temperature so the next day I said to my husband we need to go to the doctors I thought there's no point in going back to the hospital they're not going to do anything we'll go to the doctors so I don't remember doing it but apparently I'd written in I translate I think I have a, a urine infection We went to the doctors. I'd shown him that. Apparently, he got me to do a urine sample. He gave us a course of antibiotics. Apparently, he gave me an injection in my bottom. We've got no idea what that was. We went to the chemist. My husband went in to get the prescription. And they said that they didn't have any antibiotics in stock and to come back the next day. By four o'clock the next morning... I woke up feeling as though I was going to die. 
I knew I needed to get to hospital and urgently, but don't ask me how I knew. I just did. <laughs> so I woke Steve and I said to him, I need to get to hospital. He brought the car round to the front of the bungalow because it, um, it was usually parked round at the side to save me having to walk very far. So he helped me to the car. I vaguely remember shuffling to the car and we went to the hospital, but I don't remember any of that at all. Apparently, an English woman was asking me questions about previous illnesses, medications I take, that kind of thing. Um, they then took my pyjamas, dressing gown and slippers and all my jewellery in a bag to my husband, who was out in the waiting room, and said to him, you can take these home. She won't be needing them. She's got six hours to live. She could die. So you can imagine how he must have felt because, you know, kind of in a foreign country, doesn't speak the language. I speak a little and I wasn't there to help translate anything. Um, so he was a bit kind of dumbfounded, didn't know what to do because he thought they'd just give me antibiotics and we'd come home. But that was not the case. In fact, it would be a long time before Kim got home. Six weeks I was in the Spanish hospital in a coma. He'd gone home that morning, he'd phoned my family in the UK and told them. They frantically tried to get a flight. You're only allowed to visit three times a day. Once in the morning, once I think at lunchtime and then later in the afternoon. And in the morning and the lunchtime one, you just look through what they described as a McDonald's drive through window. They can just see you. That's it. They can't come in and hold you or talk to you. or Well, they could talk through a phone, but that was it. So in the afternoon, they came in. One of my girls pulled the sheet back to hold my hand and my hands were already purple. Apparently, they all gasped and my mum said, she's not going to make it. She's not going to make it. We need to switch the machines off and let her go. I'm glad they didn't, <laughs> may I add. <laughs> I'm glad I'm still here. But yeah, my hands had turned purple within 24 hours of being in hospital so it was pretty obvious that they were going to die. I don't know if they looked at my feet at that stage and my legs. Um, my legs and feet had also turned and then they went black. So the hospital in Spain had discussed about amputating out there. Apparently they'd taken me by ambulance down to Alicante to somewhere and brought me back again but nothing was done about the amputations there and I'm really glad that they didn't because my daughter managed to find my travel insurance luckily on my iPad and they sent a German doctor over and he walked into the room and took one look at me and said to my husband if I don't get her out of here today she'll be dead in no time he said, there's going to be a risk taking her in the air and bringing her back down. He said, but that risk is minor compared to leaving her here. And so he took me back to 
Luton Airport. And then I was driven back to the hospital, obviously, by ambulance. Milton Keynes Hospital, I believe, saved my life. They, they got me out of the coma after three weeks of being back. My daughters were there to greet me. When I arrived back, they saw the trolley coming down the corridor with what looked like a body bag on it. And they said, oh, that must be mum. Um, and it was. They'd obviously kept me wrapped up. They took me into a room, got me all wired up to their machinery, and then called my daughters into their office. And they said, we're absolutely shot at the state of your mum. And we must say that the next 48 hours are critical. She might not make it. And Gemma said, don't tell me that. She said, because they said that to us in Spain. And she's still here. She's still fighting. She's going to pull through. She's a fighter. And they said that Spain had told them they had, that I had a couple of black digits well, to me, black digits are maybe a couple of black fingers. My arms were black. Never mind my hands, my arms, almost up to my elbow, probably an inch or two down from my elbow was black with necrosis. I was extremely lucky because they were talking about amputating my arm just below my elbow on my right. The left, I don't remember if they spoke about keeping the full lengths or not but I do remember with the right they spoke about it being possibly amputated right up almost to my elbow I was extremely lucky because I obviously had very good surgeons I then had to go to rehab to Roehampton I was booked for 12 weeks and I had seven in rehab and absolutely smashed it in seven weeks and they said I could go home from getting ill to actually getting back home home, I spent eight months altogether in hospital and then rehab. I couldn't wait to get home because although I was seeing the family, I missed, I missed home cooking for one. But I missed my puppies, my, my dogs, my babies, you know, I loved them. Um, and I missed my dogs. My eldest dog had died just before I fell ill and I'd forgotten about that. So that kind of upset me a little bit as well. But I wanted to get home and see my fur babies. And when I walked in, oh, they were so happy to see me. They, they hadn't forgotten me and it was so lovely. Kim says getting sepsis has changed her life. I actually believe that I was saved so that I would warn people. So I campaign daily. I do TikToks. I do Instagram. I do, I've got a Facebook page called Kim's Chance. I post about sepsis all the time. I just think it's important that everybody knows what sepsis is. Now, on the telly, we occasionally get an advert that shows us what meningitis is. And if you get that spots on the skin with the glass thing, people know about the fast with a stroke. And I think it's time that the government do an advert for sepsis as well. More training needs to be done. I work with my local hospital helping train staff on sepsis because my story of losing your limbs and surviving it is a very powerful story and I'm quite happy to tell anybody what happened to me it it's just absolutely the most important thing to get over to everybody I had several symptoms which were the cold hands and feet confusion 
extreme cold. I was shivering and wrapped in a blanket, yet I had a temperature. Slurred speech. Um, another symptom is not peeing in 24 hours. But if you feel that you feel really unwell, and it's a little bit more than a normal when you've got an infection, you need to ring 999. No doubt about it. 999 or get to the hospital urgently. When I get an infection, I do panic. I had an infection on the end of my stump where a bone kept poking out. And I have had sepsis again through a urine infection again. And I thought about it pretty quickly. Um, started to feel unwell. Started to get the pain in my side again where I got it before. And thought, no, this isn't right. Called 999. The ambulance crew came out. They were amazing. Immediately took me straight to hospital. Hospital were brilliant. Got me straight on a drip, straight on fluids and antibiotics and kept me in overnight. My levels were down the next day and they said, we're happy enough now to send you home with oral antibiotics. So yeah, I panic. Um, I, I do panic, but rightly so. And I think everybody that's had sepsis panics when they get those symptoms again, because we know what can happen. But with the right treatment, it's absolutely fine. Anytime I think anyone's got an infection, I kind of jump on it. An amputee friend was in hospital with his leg. It looked to me like he'd got cellulitis, his good leg, obviously, not his prosthetic leg. Um, and it looked as though he'd got cellulitis. And I said to him, that looks like cellulitis and like it's infected. You be very careful because you can get sepsis from that. So I said, look, I'm going to send you the, the leaflet. So I sent it to him. I said, if you've got any of those symptoms, you show them nurses and you demand they get you tested. And he said, actually, I have. So the nurse came over and he told the nurse and she went, no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. He said, look, my friend is a quadruple amputee because of sepsis. She not almost died. He said, she's told me that because I've got a couple of these symptoms, you need to test me right now. Look at this. So <laughs> she, he made her read the flyer that I'd sent him. And they tested him. And sure enough, he had sepsis. So he still says to this day, and he tells everybody that I saved his life. Sepsis has changed my life, I think, in a way for the better. I've done more things since I've had sepsis. I've jumped from an aeroplane. I've done a zip wire. Um, I'm waiting to do the UK's largest zip wire in Wales with a, an amputee group, hopefully either later this year or next year. I've been rock climbing. So nothing will stop me now. I have no fear. I almost died. I used to be petrified of heights. Nothing seems to frighten me anymore. I'm not frightened of dying now. If I die, I die. That's it. You know, so if I have my hand transplant and in the middle of it I die, then so be it. At least I tried. I've had a good life. You know, I'm almost 61 and I've, I've enjoyed my life and I'm not going to let anything from now on stop me. You heard Kim say she'd had sepsis a second time and that her doctor now keeps an eye out if she has any kind of infection. This is something that Professor Kenneth Bailey from the Genomic Study is looking at thanks to funding from sepsis research feet. We know there are people, you know, often, you know, kids that, that present to hospital with uh, recurrent infections who have broken bits of their immune system. There's also in uh, the broader population something more subtle going on, which is that you, you know, we've all evolved for 
you know, really the whole of our evolution since before we looked anything like we do now, in the face of infections and um, a, you know a constant battle against um, against bugs that cause infections. The consequence of that is that some of us are resistant to some infections and susceptible to others. And there are specific examples of that from genetic studies and other other diseases that you can have a single change that makes you more resistant to, there's, there's one that makes you resistant to HIV. So, so people who are you know, continually exposed to HIV never get infected because they have this genetic variant. But that exact same variant makes them more susceptible to another infection. And I think that's important when thinking about, or when you know, when we're talking about studying genetics in sepsis, um, we're not really looking for um, deficiencies, you know, broken bits of immune system. We're looking for differences um, that might point your immune system one way, um, which which might help you in some circumstances but hinder you in others. And of course, you know, for that week when you're desperately sick on the intensive care unit with sepsis, if we know that, then maybe we can point your immune system in, in another direction using drugs and, and you know, promote your chances of surviving. Kim's life is now unrecognisable after her experience of sepsis. With huge courage, she's channeled her energy into campaigning tirelessly since her recovery to raise awareness of sepsis UK-wide and beyond. We really hope that listening to this Words of Sepsis podcast has helped increase your awareness of sepsis. Do check out all eight episodes in the series and share them as widely as you can, using them to start conversations with friends and family about sepsis. It could save a life, possibly even your own. If you've been affected by anything you've heard, or you'd like more information about the groundbreaking research into sepsis that the charity funds, please do visit our website www.sepsisresearch.org.uk where you can also make a donation. You'll be helping us to save lives today and fund research for tomorrow.